What a blessing, amen. Praise, awesome, man, so good. So, so excited to see our, our youth lead out. Oh, just so powerful. Um, so we started a new series last week, and it's just a three-part series. Um, and the series is called Crash Course, Crash Course. And the reason why it's called Crash Course is what we're talking about in this series is kind of the idea of like spiritual crashing, right? Not, not a crash course like we're going to teach you something and like put a lot of information in this one moment to help you learn. It's not that kind of crash course. It's a series dealing with spiritual crashes. And it's a series about dealing with spiritual lows. Uh, it's a, a series about dealing with spiritual frustration. Right, this idea that I've been at the same place spiritually for a long time, and I've tried lots of things, and I've gone to church, I've gone to retreats, and I had these moments where, yeah, I, I kind of had this spiritual high experience, but inevitably I crash. And um, during the next couple of weeks, what we want to do is talk about the reality, first of all, that this is a reality that everyone faces, and that if you experience that, and you're experiencing that, and you're feeling that right now, there's nothing wrong. There's something very human about this. And so first we want to acknowledge that this happens, but we also want to learn and talk about what we can do, what do we need to understand to, in these spiritual low, spiritual frustrated moments to move us out of that kind of a place. Now, what you have to know about this series, um, as a part of Pastor Jonathan's like training or mentorship, whatever you call it here in this church, occasionally I assign him a series. I give you, I'll say, hey, you have these three or four weeks. You choose the series, and you tell me what you want me to talk about. Because a lot of times the way it goes is I'll kind of come up with a series idea, or we'll talk about it, come up with an idea, and then we'll break it down. But this one I said, okay, I want you to pretend that you're the senior pastor, you're the lead pastor, I'm the associate. You tell me how you want to break down these messages and the direction you want to take this series. So that's fantastic. And this is the idea that, that God gave to Pastor Jonathan. So if you have a problem with it, you talk to him, okay? Don't talk to me. Uh, but I'm really excited about this message because as I, as I thought about it, my first concern was like, wow, this is a very like specific message to a specific kind of people like who had some special spiritual experience this summer, who, who went to a week-long camp or who went to camp meeting and, and were filled and, and, and were, were growing spiritually and then came back home and kind of struggled through that. And I was like, not everyone really did that. But as I explored and as I prayed and as I studied, I was like, wow, actually this message is really not for people who had a high and now are in a low. It's really for people who just struggle with spiritual lows. And if we're honest, I'm sure a lot of us, no matter who you are, have at some point or maybe right now are in that kind of spiritual valley. And how do we understand what this spiritual valley is really about? Well, how do we understand what God wants us to know in the valley? So if that's where you are, I'm so glad that you're here with us as we are worshiping, as we're listening to to God's word. Now, last week, Pastor Jonathan gave us a very foundational message, and I thought what he said last week was really, really thought-provoking. He talked to us about this idea of having a results-based faith, a faith that is based on the results of that faith, whether it's answered prayers. And he talked about how answered prayers are a very shaky foundation for your faith. He talked about how, how your faith affects your life and how it make, makes you feel. That's a shaky foundation to build your faith on. And he said, really, what it comes down to, the strong, firm foundation of faith, is the character of Jesus Christ. And that was like really thought-provoking. He, he ended the series or the message with the question, why do you believe? Why do you have faith? Is it because of results that you're depending on? 
And what he told us that was so powerful is that if you depend on certain results from your faith, you will inevitably go up and down, have highs and lows. If your faith is based on the results of your faith, you will always struggle with an inconsistent spiritual life. So that was what he challenged us to last week. Now today, uh, now today what we're going to do is we're going to understand, try to understand a very important truth that you need to know if you are in a spiritual valley or if you're in a spiritual low. Right? This is going to be a very important truth that you need to understand in order to move from this place into somewhere else, the, the place that God wants to send you and take you. So with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this uh, series. I thank you, God, for what we're experiencing. I thank you, God, for the way that you're going to speak to people today. Uh, Father, I pray, God, that we would be really at a place, Father, where we can hear your words. And Father, if we're challenged, if we're uncomfortable, even if we're offended, I pray that through that, we may not dwell on the feeling, but dwell on the truth that you are trying to communicate to us today. So Father, we give it to you, surrender all to you. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, so for the last two months, some of you guys know, um, I, was, uh, I was sporting a beard. I was sporting facial hair for the last two months. It was actually like pretty much exactly two months because I started not shaving when VBS started, which was June 20, and today is you know, August 21st. And so for the last two months, I've been experimenting with uh, facial hair and kind of like rebelling against society because society was telling me, Chris, what are you doing? Maybe you shouldn't do that. Uh, and then my, my, my kind of journey with facial hair, it's pretty short, it's only two months. Uh, it started with full beard, if you could call it that. <laughs> I was trying to attempt a full beard from sideburns all the way down, all the way through. It doesn't connect, you know, can't do anything about that. Uh, but, you know, I kind of grew it out. Um, about four weeks into that, about a month into that, uh, I decided, let's make a transition, let's make a change. I shaved the sides of it, turned it into a goatee, and just kind of focused and centered everything down here. And I had that for about two weeks. And then on Thursday, Thursday or Wednesday night, I made the decision, it's time to go. Bye-bye. It's time to see you later, facial hair. I'll miss you. I had that moment. And, you know, what was really interesting about the past two months is, like, I really saw the power of feedback and evaluation through the last two months. Right? There are some people, the feedback you all gave me, you're like, high five. And inevitably, it was people with facial hair that gave me high fives. Good job. Stick to it. Come on. Keep on keeping on, brother. You know, encouragement. Others of you, I appreciate this, you all spoke truth in love. And then others of you, you just spoke truth. And uh, it's like I had all these different thoughts and like people would say, you know, it looks good. What are you doing? Maybe you shouldn't. I was just like, you know, like struggling with that over the last two months. And every day it's like I'm holding my razor and be like, should I? Shouldn't I? I don't know. What do I really want? Like who am I? You know, I like kind of went through that. But in the end, there were, two, there were two pieces of feedback that were the most powerful that the problem was that they were conflicting. The first was from my own wife. And this whole time, that's what everyone was asking. How does Tracy feel about it? Like, that's really what matters. I, I may not like it, but how does Tracy feel about it? And Tracy's been very ambivalent through the whole experience. It's her answer, I, I asked her multiple times, what do you think? Like, really, tell me what you think. And she says, you can do it. You can do it. For a time. <laughs> and then this week, she looked at me and says, it's time. It's time, Chris. 
And I said, you know what, you're right, there's a wedding tomorrow, I'm doing a wedding, I don't want to ruin someone's wedding with like weird facial hair, you know, like my whole life I've had no facial hair, and it's just like this last month, so you know, I should go back to that, and then I shaved it. The second piece of very powerful yet conflicting feedback was what I saw in the mirror as soon as I shaved it. I immediately thought, I regret it. I should not have shaved it. I looked at my face in the mirror, and I was like, who are you? I don't even know you anymore. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Because as soon as I shaved, I was like, oh, I feel like that was a mistake. I kind of liked it. I feel like it made me look skinnier. And that was like a big deal. And I was like, ah. So that being said, there may be a return in the coming weeks. Who knows? We'll have to see. I'll pray about it, see where the Lord leads, all right? But I like through that whole experience, man, I saw the power of feedback. The power of evaluation and feedback. When, when you do something, experience something, and then you get to see it and you get to hear it and it's communicated to you and how that affects and changes you, like, it's really powerful. You know, have you guys been driving on the road and seen those, um, those speed limit signs, obviously, but have you seen those places where not only do they have a speed limit sign, but then right under that they have a radar that tells you how fast you're going? Do you guys know that... Um, for a, a normal speed limit sign, about 10 to 20% of people slow down when they see a speed limit sign. How many of y'all do that? Okay, see? All right, 10 to 20%, very few people. They found that when they started putting these radar signs, 80% of people reduce their speed when they see that. Why? Feedback. That's feedback. It's like it shows you exactly what's going on, and you respond. It's powerful, the power of feedback. So as we talk about this, this, this idea of a spiritual low, as we talk about, you know, the experiences we had maybe in the summer with, with powerful spiritual programming for a whole week or, or retreats or church service or an amazing small group, whatever you've experienced that made you feel like, wow, like I'm committed to Jesus, like I'm on fire for Jesus, I think it's important that we take a moment to evaluate and get a little feedback on why was that power experience so powerful. And what, what God is going to show us through that is something really, really important. So let's think about it. Think about kind of like the average spiritual experience, the average like camp meeting, retreats, uh, camp where like, you know, you're really on fire. Ultimately, what it really kind of comes down to, I broke it down, I thought about it. This is are, are the pieces that lead us to kind of have that spiritual experience. And so if we take camp meeting, for example, whether Oregon Conference camp meeting or the Korean camp meeting that many of us just went to, it really comes down to these like six things. Six things. There's lots of praise and worship, at least two praise and worships a day, right? So twice a day, you're singing songs and worship to God. You have sermons twice a day, which is very different than what you normally have, like a morning one and then an evening one or something. Uh, you have, inevitably, you have spiritual conversations because maybe you're forced to in small groups, that kinds of things. You're encouraged, and there's a lot of accountability to do morning devotions. There's dedicated times of prayer, and there's spiritual community, right? So I feel like if you look at any kind of spiritual programming, these are like the six key things that really make a difference. It's lots of praise and worship, sermons, spiritual conversations, morning devotions or like time with God, quiet times, prayer, and spiritual community. All right, that's pretty much about it. And overall, it's just like a really fun environment, very positive, and it's, it's really nice. And so this is kind of what you have. Now, we have to be honest, though. Like, those kind of camps and camp meetings and spiritual experiences, whatever they are, we have to acknowledge that they're kind of artificial, right? Like, they're not real life, right? Like, that's not your real life. There's, there's, you can't live really, really live life like that all the time. Like, you don't have multiple worships in your everyday life. You know, you got worship, like, maybe once a week, 
you know, if you're at church or maybe if your family does family worship once, once a day or something, but definitely not twice a day. Like, that's kind of crazy. Uh, you listen to sermons, but, you know, mostly at church. Uh, you, you don't really have spiritual conversations with your friends. Uh, maybe at small group you do, but maybe that's once a week. Hopefully you're doing morning devotions or spending time with God in prayer and reading the Bible. But no one's like on you. No one's asking you. There's no accountability there. Hopefully you're praying and, you know, you have spiritual community, but you're not like engaging in spiritual conversations with your spiritual community. So like we have to admit, right, like camp meetings and these events, they're like a little bit artificial. They're kind of a bubble that's not exactly identically repeatable in our everyday life. That being said, I need to ask you a very difficult question. That being said, I need to challenge you with this next question. Look at this list. Worship, sermons, spiritual conversation, morning devotions, prayer, spiritual community. Here's my question that I really need you to think about. Among these things, these six things, what don't you have available to you today right now? Among those six things, I'll put them back on the screen. Among these six things, what is not available to you today, tomorrow? This week, what, what is not there for you? What do you not have access to in your week among these six things? Right, if we're honest, and the reason why this question is challenging, because the answer is we have access to all of those things, right? This week, tomorrow, we have access to all these things. Worship, messages, spiritual community, spiritual friendships, morning devotions, prayer, spiritual conversations. They are available to you right now in this moment. After potluck, when you go home, this weekend, this week, when you go to work, when you go to school. These things are available to you, are they not? They are available to you. Yet for some reason we find ourselves crashing even though the things that led us to experience God in a powerful way are is extremely available to you right now, yet we still crash. Like that's a tension that we have to acknowledge. That everything that we experienced that was so, such a blessing that week, you have it today and tomorrow. There's really very little difference that we're going to get to that. Now, the Apostle Peter, what's really cool is he, he kind of talked about this. Like this reality of like the fact that the spiritual experience we had before, all those things are available to us today, and, and the reality of being spiritually low and spiritually frustrated. The Apostle Peter talked about this, and I think it's really powerful that of all the disciples, the Apostle Peter wrote about this. Because I think of, of, among all the disciples, and maybe among a lot of the people in the Bible, Peter was really, really, really acquainted with spiritual highs and spiritual lows. Right? We know that from his, his story, just like the way he was as a person, he like rose and fall, he got excited and he fell down, right? Like he had these really powerful experiences. For example, you know, his, his most lowest low. If you grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about. Peter had the lowest low experience that I feel like more, it's going to be lower than anything we ever experienced, right? When he denied Jesus and betrayed Jesus. Now, what you have to understand about that, the context of that scenario, what happened 
is that just a few days before he denied Jesus and said, I don't know him, I don't, I don't, I don't, I've never met him, like he's not my friend, he's not my associate, I don't even know who he is, I've never heard of him. Like before he said all that stuff, just a few days later, they entered the city of Jerusalem and everyone is praising God, everyone is celebrating, like they were on, having like a parade, like entering the city, city people are like waving palm branches and singing and shouting his praises and Peter was right there. He's like right next to Jesus, you know. He's like, this is it. This is the guy, right? Like, like come celebrate him. And at the same time, you understand that Peter was not just excited about people celebrating Jesus. You know what he was feeling. He's like, I'm with this guy. If they celebrate Jesus, they celebrate me. I have an in. I'm one of his closest friends. He has his arm around him, and they're like walking together, right? He's in his entourage. Yet four, five days later, He's denying that he even knew him, right? Like highest of highs, lowest of lows. The other famous story with Peter is walking on the water. Nobody else did this. He got to walk on water. So in one moment, he's walking on water, doing something no one has ever done, doing something that only Jesus and him did, walking on water. And then in a second, he's sinking and drowning. Highest of highs, lowest of lows. If anyone knows about spiritual lows, if anyone knows what it's like to be spiritually frustrated, if anyone knows what it's like to experience the inconsistency of spiritual life, it's Peter. And I want to look at what he says about this whole experience. It's so, so powerful. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. I want to stop here for a moment. Peter says something really, really important, and this might be really, really important for some of you today or who are those of you who are watching. Peter says your faith is a gift. Did you know that? Your faith is a gift. No matter what level of faith you are at, your faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. Now, some of us don't see faith as a gift. Some of us see faith as a burden, don't we? Some of us see that because I have faith, I have to do things that I don't want to do. Because I have faith, I can't do things that I want to do. Because of faith, there are commitments that I have to make that I'd rather not, but I have to because of faith. Because of faith, I have to spend my time in a certain way that I don't really want to. My, my flesh, my desires, they don't really line up with that. Because of faith, I have to spend my money or give my money in things that I don't really want to, but I feel like I have to because of faith. Some of us see faith as a burden because of the expectations that faith puts on us, because of the expectations that faith and, and our family and friends and church put on us. We're like, ah, oh, it's so hard to believe. And it would actually be much easier for my life if I stepped away from that faith. For some of us, faith is a burden. But Peter says, man, faith is a gift. Like, as tumultuous as his life was, Peter's life was up and down and tumultuous, not just because of his personality, but because of his faith. Because of what he believed or because of his lack of belief, he went up and down, side to side, highest of highs, lowest of lows. In fact, at the end of his life, he's going to die for his faith. He's going to become a martyr. He's going to be killed because of his faith. Yet he says, my faith, faith is a gift. I want you to understand that today. Wherever you are, faith is 
a gift. What God has done in your life to bring you to this point of faith, wherever you're at, it is a gift. The ability to see things as God sees them is a gift. The ability to have a perspective, the ability to have faith from which comes hope and love and peace and freedom, it is a gift. The ability to know I am where I'm supposed to be. I am doing what I'm supposed to do. I am living the life God called me to live. That is an incredible gift that faith brings to you. So I want you, wherever you're at, to understand that your faith is a gift. No matter what it has done in your life, no matter what it has made you feel, faith as it was meant to be, healthy, spiritual, Christ-centered faith, it is a gift. And it's one that each and every one of us have in this room or watching online. You're here because of faith, and it is a gift. You have friendship and community because of faith. Don't tell me it's a burden. Now, I get the challenges that come with it, but Paul says, hey, before we go into this conversation about dealing with our spiritual lows, you got to know your faith, what you believe about God, the way he's led you, man, it is a precious gift from him. And then this is what he says. A couple of verses later, he says, yeah, our faith is a gift. And he says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Let's going to spend a little bit of time on here. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He defines it later, a godly life, as one, as a life that looks like Jesus, where we live, love, and look like Jesus, where our character becomes more like Jesus. And he says, you have everything you need for that. Like in your spiritual lows, you have everything you need to live a godly life. You have everything you need to live a godly life, to live a life like Jesus at home, at work, and at school. It doesn't matter your situation or your circumstances. You have everything you need to live a godly life. Like right now in this moment. You lack nothing. You have all the resources and all the tools. You have all the understanding that you need for you in this moment, in this season of life, to live a godly life. He's given you everything. No excuses. There's no reason to have an excuse. Well, I don't don't know this. Well, I didn't experience that. Well, I didn't have the same story as this person. Well, I'm not listening to sermons every day. I'm not having spiritual conversations like I had at camp meeting or that camp or that program. It's different. You have everything you need right now in this moment to live a godly life, is what Peter says. No matter how high you are, no matter how low you are, you have everything you need. You have the resources, the skills, the understanding, and guess what? You have, and this is the hardest one to hear, you have the time. And I know some of you are like, no, I don't have the time. Yes, you do. You do. You do. You have the time to live a godly life. You have the understanding to live a godly life. Everything. Like, I want to be real with you guys. Let's get real, real in this moment, okay? We're going to look at those six things, right? The six things from those, like, spiritual experiences and camps and retreats that really, like, fire us up for Jesus. Let's talk about that, okay? So the first thing we said is we have praise and worship, right? Like, you sing songs, and usually at this event, like, praise is amazing and camping. Praise is amazing. Let's be honest, guys. Praise is amazing here. Amen. Right, like, it is powerful here, man. It is like, praise here is so good, right? And I've been a pastor for many years, and, and we've had, at my different churches, different praise teams that are really good, but I've never, okay, I've never been in a church where every single praise team is just rock solid, man. 
right? Not just musically, but spiritually, right? Not just like they're, they're good at their instruments, but like I see in them the desire to serve God, like what Rowan shared with us today. Like it's not just about me. Like I want us to worship God and connect with him. Like these are our high school students, man. Praise is powerful here in this church. All right, sermons. Usually at these events, we have like special guest speakers who are like really awesome and powerful speakers and like, yeah, like we don't get that at home. Our pastor and our sermons are not as good. And, you know, you can say that. But here, here, here's, I want to push back against that a little bit, a little bit. All right. First of all, first of all, first of all, you have access to the greatest preachers on the planet in your pocket. Okay. You go to YouTube, you go to a podcast, you can listen to the greatest preachers on earth at any moment. You don't have to watch Netflix during lunch. You can listen to a sermon during lunch. You don't have to listen to NPR during, on, your, on your commute to work. You can listen to a sermon. You have access to every single preacher, man, like the best ones. They're there in your pocket. So don't give me that like, oh, I can't listen to great sermons. Come on, right? Secondly, I'm speaking to the, the, the youth here now, okay? Adults, I don't know if this is for you. And I'm speaking specifically about the uh, camp meeting that we had, the Korean camp meeting. You had a guest speaker there. I guarantee you, he's not better than me. I guarantee you that the preacher and the speaker you had at camp meeting, junior high and high school students, is not better than me. Now, before all of you guys are like, yo, Chris, what is going on? That's very conceited, very arrogant. How dare you, like, you know, like, talk about another preacher not being very good and not being as good as you? Let me let you in on a little secret. The speaker for the junior high and high school was me. It was me. So that guy is not better than me. That guy is me, right? And the sermons I preach there, whatever you experience, whatever the way God, it's the same guy preaching the sermons. So you got no excuse. Say, oh, sermons at camp meeting are better than we have at church. It's all me, man, right? Like I'm the one that preached there. So you really can't say that. Now, part of you might be like, well, Pastor Chris, for some reason, you are better at camp meeting than at home. You preach about different things than at home. The things that you talk about at home, you know, I don't know. But camp meeting, oh, it was different. Guys, a lot of what I preached there, I've preached here at church. Secularism, I talked about at camp meeting. I taught a whole series on secularism. The Eremos, I talked about that at church. I talked a lot about a lot of things we've talked about church, very similar things at camp meeting, right? So, so this idea of, yeah, we have better speakers there, doesn't fly. Let's be real, real. It like literally doesn't fly in the most apparent way here. Spiritual conversations. Can you not have spiritual conversations here today? Sabbath school, small groups, those spiritual conversations that you had over there, the only difference was that you were forced to do it. You sat, they sat you down in a group and said, talk about the sermon. You can do that today. Is that not available to you today? Spiritual community, spiritual community, we have that every single week. In fact, there are a few of us at this camp meeting, we're sitting at a table, and somebody else walked to us and said, hey, guys, why don't you go meet some other people? You guys just hang out with each other every single day anyway. Why don't you meet someone else? Here's the truth. When you went to that camp, most of you hung out with the same people you hung out with here, and you hung out with them there. You didn't make new friends, even though you're supposed to. You didn't make new friends. You hung out with the same people there that you hang out with here. Spiritual community, same thing. Same thing. Morning devotion, you can have, you have a Bible? You have a Bible? 
then you can do morning devotion here. You don't get Hajj. It's not like they had some special camp meeting Bible, the PUC Bible. No, no, it's the same Bible, same God, same word, same spirit that you had there. You have it here today. You have it here tomorrow. Prayer, you have that same access to God. You have, according to Peter's words, everything you need to live a godly life. No excuses, guys. I just blasted all your excuses away. You got none. You, we have everything we need to live a godly life, to live and grow into a person that lives, loves, and looks like Jesus. Like that's all available to us today in this moment. Now, at the same time, we have to, we have to be aware of the fact that it is true. This does happen, though. Like, people do spiritually crash. People do have a powerful experience somewhere and then move home and go back home after a mission trip or whatever. And they will have a spiritual low experience. Like, as much as it doesn't make sense, you know, kind of what I'm doing, like, it doesn't make sense, it is a reality. Why? Why is it? Why is it that this could happen? I'm going to talk about two things of why this can happen. And the Apostle Peter, he really hits the nail on the head. I think this is so powerful. Because what the Apostle Paul says in the second part of verse 3 is he helps us to identify the difference between an emotional experience and a spiritual experience. And this is so important for us to understand. How do we know that what I experience at this event or this camp or this summer or on that hike or during that sermon or that small group was a spiritual experience and not an emotional experience? How do I know? This is what he says in verse 3. So we read the whole, whole verse again. He says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. We have everything we need for a godly life, and we have received all of this by coming to know him. You see, the difference between an emotional experience and a spiritual experience is that you can walk away and understand how you have come to know God more. That there is an increase in the knowledge and character of your Heavenly Father or your loving Savior. The difference between an emotional and a spiritual experience is that afterwards you have learned more about who God is. So as you walk away from these moments, you have to ask that question. How have I understood God's character more now? How do I know him better than I did last week? How do I understand myself through him? Or how do I understand circumstances or other people or the challenges I'm facing? How do I understand those things differently by learning more about Jesus, who he is, his character, his personality? How have I, been, how have I become different because I know God more. What it comes down to is through that experience, do you know God better? Have you come to know him better? That's the difference between an emotional experience and a spiritual experience. This is what I want you, this is what I want to say. The difference between a solely emotional experience and a spiritual experience is being able to process, then articulate how you have come to know God more through that experience. So really, it's not about the experience at all. It's about your response to the experience. If you have an experience, if you go to worship and you go to praise night or whatever, and all you do is feel, but you don't know Jesus better because of that, you had an emotional experience. If you walk away and I ask you, so what did you learn about God through that experience, and you have no answer, then you just had an emotional experience. It was just the vibes. It was just the atmosphere. It was just the environment. 
We have to be able to walk away from those experiences and process in our minds and in our hearts and also be able to articulate it to someone else. You know, through that worship set, through those songs, this is what I learned about God. This is what I learned about myself through that. Because I sang those songs in this way and because I heard these words. When I listened to those messages, when I had those spiritual conversations, this is what I learned about who God is. If you have those moments, then you had a spiritual experience. It's actually not about the moment at all. It could have had a lot of emotion or had none. But if you walk away from either one being able to say, I know Jesus more because of that, it was a spiritual experience. That's what Paul says. We have everything we need and we get it. We receive it because we have come to know who Jesus is. Because we have come to know God better through it. That's really the difference. So no matter how amazing a sermon that you listen to is, no matter what it makes you feel, no matter how excited you are about being Christian, how on fire you are, if you cannot communicate, hey, this is how I've learned, this is how I know God better through it, you just had an emotional experience. And this is why I think it's important that we understand that when we crash, it's because we haven't taken the time to process and to talk and articulate and communicate the reality of the fact that we learn more about who God is, about his love and his grace and his mercy or his judgment or his fairness or his peace or whatever. This is the difference between a solely emotional and spiritual experience. So you have everything you need to live a godly life that comes through knowing more about Jesus through these experiences. But there is a difference there is a very real difference between what you may have experienced at a camp, at camp meeting, this week-long spiritual experience, a, a retreat, a mission trip, a small group, even, even church service on a Sabbath, and everyday life. There is a difference. There is a difference. The difference is, is when you go to these things, you have no choice, Right? When you, when you choose to go to these events, when you choose to go to the retreat, when you choose to go to these places, you put yourself in a place where you say, I have no choice but to listen to these sermons twice a day, to sing these songs and worship twice a day, to go into these small groups. Like the only difference, the real difference between that and your everyday life is because by choice, you have given up the choice to seek first the kingdom of God or not. When you go to these events, you are seeking first the kingdom of God, whether you choose to or not, because you put yourself there. You have no other obligations that week. You have no other commitments. You have no other, this is important, you have no other competing priorities in your life. That is the difference. There's nothing else going on. You have no work. You have no school. All you have is seeking first the kingdom of God. That is the only thing that is actually different because when you come down, when you come back home, you now have competing priorities. You have work. You have, you have school. You have homework. You have things to do. You have people to see. You have all kinds of pressures and struggles. And you have all other things for you to pay attention to that you didn't have that during that one week. That's really the only difference between you there and you here is that in one scenario, you have rid yourself of all other competing priorities. And you said... Whether you liked it or not, whether your parents signed you up or not, whether you, you enjoyed it or not, you said, I will seek first the kingdom of God. I'm not going to worry about anything else. 
Generally, there's no distractions. There's much less distractions at these events than in our everyday life. You know, just, if we just take camp meeting, PUC camp meeting, for example, like, there's nothing to do. Yeah, there's good food, right? There's good food in Napa. There's good food in St. Helena, right? The greatest sandwich on the planet is located in St. Helena, California, right? But I don't think that's really a distraction because I firmly believe that we're going to eat Junies in heaven. I'm pretty sure that that's what we're going to be doing there. So, so, like, yeah, you have these things to do, but really you're seeking first the kingdom of God at camp meeting and these retreats and these mission trips and these programs. You are putting God first above all things else, and you have no other competing priorities. That's actually the only difference. So here's what I want you guys to understand. When you go to these events, you put yourself in a place to hear the word of God more than you ever did. You put yourself in a place to worship and praise and think about who God is and give him praise more than you ever did. You, you put yourself in a place to sit down with other people and have spiritual conversations, to talk about real things, things that you're struggling with in your life and how God is speaking to you and how God is moving. Like you are doing these things. You're putting yourself in that place. You're putting yourself in a place where you are allowing people to hold you accountable and who are motivating you to spend time with God in prayer and the Bible every single day. You have chosen to put yourself, you have chosen to seek first the kingdom of God. That is the only difference between then and now where we no longer choose to seek first the kingdom of God because we have work, because we have homework, because we have sports, because we have lessons. That's the only difference. So here's what I want you guys to understand. The only difference between the spiritual experience you may have had and now is you. That's the only thing. Everything else is available to you today. The Holy Spirit is just as available to you today than it was that week. The only difference is where you are. The only difference is your perspective. The only difference is your mindset, and the only difference is your priorities. And I'm talking to myself as well. That's the only difference. 20 years ago, I went on a mission trip that changed my life. When I was uh, 17, 18 years old, I went on a mission trip, and if I look back on kind of like the whole journey of my life, that was a critical moment, me going on that mission trip. And in that mission trip, I went to Mexico for six weeks. I did two weeks of training. I spent six weeks in Mexico in the mission field doing mission work and stuff like that. And during that time, like, I saw miracles, right? I, see, I saw Pastor Jonathan talked about how very few times in his life has he seen God answer a prayer the way he wanted it to be answered at the time he wanted it to be answered, Right? During that mission trip, I saw that. Like, God answered prayers powerfully in ways that we were seeking for at just the right time, exactly what we were hoping for, like everything, right? So I saw these miracles, God doing all these amazing things. But you know what? That's not what changed my life. That's not what changed the, the, the trajectory and the direction of my life. Here's what actually changed my life when I went to that mission trip when I was 18 years old. When I went to that mission trip, I realized I have nothing else to do. No school. I don't even have my same friends, right? I was with like these three people that I've never met before. I met them two weeks before. And um, you know, like I don't know them. We have very little history together. So there, I, don't, I don't have my friends. I don't have school. I don't have anything else to do. All I have is this mission work. All I have is God. We didn't have 
Netflix, YouTube. I don't even know if we had YouTube. It might have been really early or there was not, it was not really a thing. We didn't have internet in, our, in the apartment that I was living in, in that, that home for six weeks. So I had nothing, right? I had no entertainment. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have movies. Nothing. No priorities. Just the mission. That's all we had. And this is what I thought going into that mission trip. I said, okay, God, for the first time in my life, I have nothing else to do except serve you. That's all I got right now. And this is what I said to God. I said, God, I want to see what it looks like to put you first, like for real. I want to see what it looks like to actually live my life for you. And at the end of this mission trip, at the end of this six weeks, let's see how it is and see how, how if this is something that I really want to do. I got nothing else to do. God, I'm going to go all in for you. I'm going to seek first. Let me see what it's actually like to seek first the kingdom of God. And so that's what I did for the next six weeks. I didn't miss a single devotion during that time. I read the Bible, prayed every day. I did mission work. We went and taught English and taught Bible, did all these things. We went to church every single Sabbath. We never missed a Sabbath. And at the end of those six weeks, God showed me something. At the end of those six weeks, I said, if this is what my life looks like when I live for you, when I seek first the kingdom of God, this is how I want the rest of my life to be like. At the end of that six weeks, I was like, life is amazing when you put God first. And it was the first time I ever experienced that. It was the first time because I had, it was an artificial environment. It was a bubble. My life is not going to be like that. But I got to experience for the first time ever what it's like to truly seek first the kingdom of God. And I was like, I never want anything else other than this. And let me tell you guys about that, my experience. It's not like it was really fun and awesome. It was actually quite terrible. Right? I just told you about like the apartment we lived in, no internet, no entertainment, nothing, right? So it was like really boring, kind of. I, I've had, and I've said this before, I've had the worst two weeks of my life that I've ever had in my entire life during that mission trip, the first two weeks. It was the worst two weeks of my life. I was like severely depressed. I had so much anxiety. I was so angry. And, and if you want to know why, we can talk about it. But I was like such, I was so, I was in such a bad place for the first two weeks of that mission trip. During that trip, we lived in this ghetto apartment, right, with four people living in this one-bedroom apartment. At night, I, I would wake up because a cockroach was crawling on my neck, right? Every morning, every night, we would spray bug spray everywhere. Every morning, we'd find like six, seven cockroaches dead on the floor. This is where I lived for six weeks. It was like, in all accounts, a pretty horrible place. But at the end of the day, I was like, this is what it's like to follow Jesus? This is amazing. I don't want anything else. We're like every meal we ate for six weeks was basically peanut butter, jelly, and cereal. That's what I ate. Occasionally we get a turkey or tuna sandwich and it was like, it was like amazing, right? Like this is the life that I led for six weeks. And at the end of that, normally you'd be like, that was horrible. I never want to do that again. And all I could think at the end of those six weeks is if this is what it's like to seek first the kingdom of God, I want it. I want this for the rest of my life. That's why my life was changed. It wasn't the miracles. 
Although those were amazing and that was wonderful, but it wasn't that. It was that for the first time in this artificial bubble environment, I got to see what it looks like to follow Jesus for real. And I loved it. And here's what I think. If you had an experience where you were kind of in an artificial bubble away from your life and you were doing all these things, these spiritual things, and that's not really how your life is like, I want you to take a moment and think, your life actually could be like that. What was happening inside of you during that week could happen to you tomorrow and this upcoming week. Why? Because everything, as Peter said, is available to you today. God has given everything to you to live a godly life. The only difference is you. The only difference is the priorities that you hold. The only difference is the things that you think are important in your life. And they probably are very important. I'm not saying that they don't matter. But the difference that you're, you are in, the difference that your mind, the difference of your perspective, that's the only thing that has changed. God has given you everything to live a godly life. He's given you everything. But with that, he's also given you a choice to seek first the kingdom of God or not. So as we think about spiritual crashing and spiritual lows and times of spiritual frustration, I want to encourage you that everything at God's, in God's arsenal, everything in his, at his disposal to help you pull you out of that, to bring you to a place of growth and spiritual excitement and fire, it's there. It's right in front of you. It's available to you today and tomorrow and this next week, regardless of work and job and family obligations and church obligations, it's there. So I just want to encourage you guys. I just want to challenge you guys to seek first the kingdom of God and put God to the test and say, God, show me what my life is going to be like if I really put you first. Show me this, this thing that you call faith that apparently is a gift. Let me experience that in my life. But you can't experience that when you do not seek him first. So as we close today's message and as we close the second part of the series, I just want you to walk away knowing that everything is available to you. Everything. The word of God is available to you. The Holy Spirit is available to you. You can experience a life with Jesus. You can experience the joy and peace and freedom in Jesus this week. Everything is available to you. It's just up to you.